Welcome to the Tax Sell Podcast, where tax sell investing is made easy. My name is Casey Dimon. I'm a tax sell veteran. I am the leading tax sell expert. I'm the author of the Tax Sell Playbook. I'm the founder of the Tax Sell Academy, and I am your host right here on the Tax Sell Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast episode. As a reminder, this is a completely free podcast brought to you through and because of the Tax Sell Academy. For more information on joining, just head on over to Tax Sell Academy. Dot com. All right, today I want to talk about something that some people see as odd or perhaps even controversial, and that is choosing your customers and how you engage with them. Essentially, giving yourself the choice of how you want to operate your business, not allowing the customer to dictate what you do. I can remember when I first got into real estate. I would do anything, anything for customers. I'd answer calls at all times of the day and night. I'd show customers properties at any time they wanted, any place, anywhere. Just call me and I would be there and I would show it to you. I would drop everything I was doing. I did everything that I possibly could to make customers happy, even if it was detrimental to myself. And then one day something happened that hit me. One day I realized that I was allowing myself to be taken advantage of by my customers with the hopes of one day earning their money by selling them a property. I had somebody call and ask me about my background, paid special attention to my background, which I thought was odd, but they also asked about a piece of property that I had listed. They called back a few minutes later to tell me, we've decided to come to town over the weekend and we'd like to see some of your properties and see the area. Fantastic, I thought, right? I made a good impression with the first conversation and they wanted to see some of my properties. I thought that was great. Now, at the time, I had about 10 vacant lots that I had purchased at the tax sale that I was now selling and they were scattered across a few different counties. So I laid out a little map between my properties, put those folks in my truck and drove them to the first lot. They asked lots and lots of questions about the area on the way there When we got that lot, they did not seem all that interested in that particular lot. So we drove to the next one. They asked more questions about the market and the areas that we were driving through. But on the second lot, they didn't seem too interested in that lot either. We continued driving from lot to lot with a few detours here and there to see popular subdivisions at their request. I didn't think it was a big deal as I was helping them to learn the area because I thought they were going to buy one of my lots. Now, at the end of the day, the gentleman and his wife got out of the truck and he told me he wasn't really interested in the lots that I had for sale, but he appreciated the tour of the subdivisions and the counties and he gave me $10 for gas. $10. First off, I spent like 50 bucks in gas probably. But secondly, I was trying to sell them my lots, not give them a tour. Lastly, it became apparent that he was using me for my knowledge of the area more than anything else. At the time, I was young and I was naive, but it taught me a very valuable lesson. And that is that I have the opportunity to choose who I work with and to choose how I work with them, not the other way around, 
My time is most valuable to me. Your time is most valuable to you. Yes, absolutely. Let the customer have input on how you operate your business. You need to make sure that your customer is happy. But at the end of the day, you cannot allow your customer to dictate how you live your life. If your customer is contributing to you being unhappy because of the way you operate your business, then you are operating your business incorrectly. And I take this into a strong consideration in the way I set up all my businesses. When it comes to real estate, I absolutely choose who I want to work with now and how I want to work with them. And I do that by design. As a matter of fact, most of my customers have no idea that I design my business in a way to make me happy. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Now, if a potential buyer has a question, I'll answer any question they could ever have. And I do that at all times of the night and day, right? But I'm not going to miss my son's baseball game because I feel an obligation to answer somebody's question right away. I'm not going to get so stressed out about responding to an email within three seconds. I'm not going to cancel all my trips or vacations to wait for somebody's call. And no customer should expect that. If that's the type of customer that somebody is, then that customer is not necessary to me or to you. And it's not going to be worth it in the long run if you decide to accept that customer. So much about choosing your customer does not come at the first interaction with that customer. It's not like they call you and you say, yeah, I don't want to deal with you and you hang up on them, right? It comes well before that. You're essentially qualifying your customers to work with you, again, without them knowing it. It comes in the way that you have your business set up and that comes by having intention in what you are doing. When I look back, I was taken advantage of by my customers many, many years ago simply because that's how I operated at the time. That's how I set myself up for it. Don't get me wrong. I'll do anything for a customer that I can. But oftentimes, if you set yourself up correctly in the first place, it won't be nearly as stressful and demanding as it would have been if you didn't set yourself up correctly. Let me give you a few ideas on how you can better choose your customers. Let's first talk about property types. The more valuable the property, the more demanding the customer will typically be. Rightfully so, right? If you have a million dollar house, you will likely need to be able to show the potential buyer that property. You need to answer questions. You need to meet inspectors and appraisers and see the deal all the way through until the end. Now for the vacant lot out in the middle of nowhere, it's unlikely you need to put forth that much effort to show the property. And obviously, there's a threshold there, right? You don't want to sell $100 desert lots all day long. And perhaps that million-dollar house that yields an $800,000 profit for you, that absolutely would justify the stress and your time investment. But understand here that it's important to keep your eyes out for trends. If you are involved in properties that require substantial time investment, but have very limited monetary upside, it's probably time to make an adjustment in what you're investing in or perhaps where you're investing. The next one is where you advertise. Certain websites will require that you put forth much more effort than other websites, for example. And in some situations, that might end up being a huge waste of time. If you decide to advertise your property on Facebook, for example, 
and you advertise it to everybody in the county. You need to be ready to field lots of potential inquiries from lukewarm buyers. But if you advertise your property in a very targeted place, then the results will be better with higher quality leads and less time investment required. Again, there are strategies, there are times to use both of those methods, but just keep that in mind when you design and set up your business from the start. Another huge way to choose your customers is through your sales copy. Now, sales copy is just another fancy term for staying the style of writing that you're using to describe and hopefully sell your property. But if you use very, very vague descriptions, if you put zero effort into your description, you should expect to have a significant time investment clarifying exactly what you're trying to sell. If your sales copy says something like three bedroom, two bath home in Jonesville, and that's it, that's not going to help your buyers out a whole lot. And subsequently, it's going to cause you a lot of time involved in explaining what you're selling. But if you write your sales copy that targets, say, investors, and it includes a very lengthy description of what you're selling, it's liable to help your customer out quite a bit and save you a lot of time. And also, if you target investors, maybe that's who you choose to be your customer because it could be easier to work with depending on your product type. And something else that I'll usually do, and it might look a little bit aggressive to some people, but it serves a very specific purpose, and that is that I'll include requirements of my buyers at the end of my sales copy. Now, everybody's seen something that a realtor has done, like pre-qualified or pre-approved buyers only. I'll actually take it a step further, and I'll say something like, important, all transactions must be cash and must close within two weeks. All offers must be for full price. That way, right off the bat, I'm laying out my expectations and it puts me in control of that transaction and it also filters out a lot of the buyers that I don't want to work with since I predominantly work with investors. Now, another tactic I'll utilize is I'll compile a list of frequently asked questions and answers. And this is something that I've built over the years as a result of the questions that I received on all my properties. Now, these questions might include information about school zones or the flood information, time limits to build, closing information, taxes, all that kind of stuff. The idea here is to be able to answer questions a buyer could potentially have before they're able to ask it. Again, this saves you time, this saves your buyer time, and it helps you to choose your buyer. You want the buyer that you want to work with that is ready to purchase the property, right? You don't want the buyer that's going to send you one email and say, hey, is it in a flood zone? And you say, no, it's not. Then the next email, what school zone it is? And you give them the school zone information. And then you get another email. You get all these questions and all this back and forth. And essentially, you're going to get sick and tired of dealing with that potential buyer because you don't know if they're serious or not. So instead, answer all those questions right off the bat, and it allows you to choose the buyers that you want to work with that are really, really hot leads. Now, I'll also require that the buyer perform their own due diligence. And this is a trap that's very, very easy to get sucked into as a seller. You think that, of course, right, a buyer should be performing their own due diligence. But it starts out with a little question like, can I park an RV there? And you start thinking, well, I don't really know. Yeah, you can park one, but does the county allow it? Like you have all these questions in your head and you tell them you don't know. They press a little bit more. And before you know it, you are the one going to the county asking if you can park an RV there instead of your buyer. 
Sure, it's helpful to know this information if you have multiple people asking about it, and that's something you could also put into your frequently asked questions, but it is so much easier for you to send your buyers to perform their own due diligence based on whatever specifics they're interested in. It's also much safer from a liability standpoint. Communication is another huge way to help you choose your buyers. Now, my preferred method of communication is email because it allows me to respond when I'm able to. It also ensures that I remember to respond because I leave those messages unread. It also provides me with a record of our communications. And because of this, I build it into my sales copy with a quick sentence such as email me for more information. Now, obviously, some buyers, especially older buyers, prefer to discuss things over the phone. And that's okay, but I much prefer to direct as many people as possible to email. Now, if you prefer phone calls or text messages or smoke signals or whatever it is, that is perfectly acceptable. Just understand that you need to suggest that. You need to push that when you're marketing your property. Because at the end of the day, if you only want to deal through email like I prefer, then you need a buyer. You need to be able to choose that buyer who also wants to deal through email. Just keep that in mind when you're advertising your properties. Now, the last one I want to mention is the collection of leads. You will likely have multiple people contact you about each property you have for sale if you're marketing it correctly. What you do with these leads is your business but I collect every single one. And then I will filter them and I will sort them. I have one list for investors interested in land in this area, one list for investors interested in homes in that area, one for end users in this area or that area. And then when I begin to market the next property, I can market it to the appropriate list, which will allow me to essentially choose my buyers. If I have a house and I know it's good for an end user, maybe it's moving ready, then I will email and I will contact just the buyers that are interested in buying a house to live in. And that weeds out the investors that want to lowball me. Or if I have a house that is kind of dilapidated, that I know is not going to be suitable for those end users, I will send it just to my investors. Again, that's a way to choose who you are working with. As you can see, there are plenty of ways that you can choose your own buyers. Now, for most people, I don't want you to go from day number one and just turn down everybody because you only want to work with a specific type of person. This is obviously something that you want to build up to over time. But you have to remember that you probably are not getting into business to allow other people to dictate how you run your life. And how you run your business has a direct impact on how you run your life. Unfortunately, many people end up investing or starting a business for the freedom that they desire. They think it'll give them that freedom, and it oftentimes will. But a lot of people start a business or they start investing only to have that business remove all of their freedoms. So be intentional with all things surrounding your tax sale business, including how you choose who you work with. I truly hope that this has helped you out. If this episode has helped at all, please do us a huge favor and leave some positive feedback on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to us on right now. For more information on strategies for success as a tax sale investor, head on over to taxcellacademy.com where you can join the academy. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We'll see you next time right here 
on the Tax Show Podcast. Take care.